And good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Friday night with friends. We are so excited that you have chosen to spend some time with us, and uh, we welcome you to our digital campus and to probably one of my most favorite times of the week, which is spending time with friends. And uh, tonight we have some good friends with us. In fact, these are all of the broadcasts have people that we consider friends, but tonight are some very close personal friends of mine, Rick and Stacy Perry. Now, those of you that have been on the broadcast with us before, you have already met Stacy uh, as she was on along with Alana, and um, they were with us as MKs, meaning missionary kids, talking to us about um, the stories of, of growing up as missionary kids and how that uh, all their experiences that they experienced there. And so tonight we're going to kind of pick up that story and uh, figure out how Rick got to Africa, how Rick got the girl, or maybe it was the girl got the guy. I don't know. We'll have to hear in that story and then the work that they did. But let me start by welcoming Rick and Stacy. Welcome to our digital Thanks. campus. Thanks. You're brave to have me. Well, I don't know about that. This is one of the folks, those of you that know about my cadre of guys that are part of how we do life together, this is one of my born of four guys. And so uh, being what's really brave, Rick, is to go spend a week in a house with you. That's what's brave, to be honest about it. <laughs> anyway, so welcome to both of you. Stacy. good to see you again. Both Rick and Stacy. I'm so, in all seriousness, very, very thankful. They both do to, well, we won't get into the mistakes that led to, but basically both of them have survived COVID-19, and I'm thankful for that. We've been praying for them several weeks ago, and uh, I'm glad that both of my friends are well today and glad that they could be on the broadcast here. So we kind of know how Stacy got to Africa. Her mom and dad took her there, <laughs> yeah. and we've heard part of that story. Rick, I'm going to just say it like I say it when we're around. How did a white boy from Ohio get to Africa? I'm white. <laughs> yes, dude, you're white. But let's move on. All right. So how'd you get to Africa? Um, kind of just kind of, well, God, we'll, we'll blame him for all of this tonight. <laughs> but um, the, the quick version is I went to IBC, as you know. And that's Indiana Bible College. For those of you that don't recognize the acronym, that's Indiana Bible College in Indianapolis, Indiana. Put my put my time in there. Went back to Cleveland, and uh, I was enrolled in school in Cleveland and going toward a secular degree. And all I right, was, I have to pause you. Are yep. you a Cleveland Browns fan? Well, I'm not much of any NFL fan right now. So all right. Okay. I just have a couple of guys out there that I've heard rumbles that they're a little excited about this season with the Cleveland Browns or something. So I'm trying to get a few points that they're happy right now that I'm giving them some press or something. But I might have some brownies that are, you know, I, I like my brownies. Yeah. All right. All right. So you go back to Cleveland. I might have some hoodies. I might have some hats. Okay. There we go. See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So tired of school, and uh, I talked with a friend that went to Indiana Bible College with me, and uh, her, let's just throw her name out because she may see this, Corey Noble. Okay. And she's not Corey Noble anymore, but uh, 
she uh, recommended that I look into going to Botswana, Africa, because she had heard about, not heard, she was there as an aim worker. And uh, they were starting a school. I was at the time working with the YMCAs in Cleveland, Ohio, with their different kids programs. So it just kind of made sense. I always wanted to go overseas. Um, yeah. So I, I'm like, let's do it. I'm going. And uh, this would be about what year? This was 92, three, three, 93, 1993. And for so, those of you that don't know, AIM, again, another acronym is Associates in Missions. And this is uh, basically short term. It's actually now we have short term missions, which is another category up from that. But AIM is, is where you normally go over for one to two to maybe three months. Yeah, uh, you raise your own budget, and you go and you help the missionaries in any way that you can. And it could be as simple as uh, helping with homeschooling their children to working in the office to helping in any way within the field, etc. So how long were you originally intending to go to to Botswana for on a well, the, the, the plan was to go for three months and come back and finish school. That was the plan. And it ended up being how long? Almost 16 years. Whoa, you never came home? Well, we came back to visit. But, but you uh, never officially came home. Like you oh, went on AIM and never came home. Correct. One, one, one year in 97 for almost a full year. It wasn't quite a full year. We, we stayed in Cleveland for a year and helped with the church there. And, uh, but outside of that, we were, we were there. All right. So... When you got to Botswana, okay, we already know how you got to Botswana as opposed to Nigeria or as opposed to Zambia or any of the other places. So you got there because of, of references. So when you, when you land in Botswana, who are the missionaries? What's going on? What was your first impressions? So we kind of got to back up because there's a key piece that might go into the next section. The next section? All right. Yeah. In the next section, I am very interested in because i've never heard this part of the story so well, maybe i'll leave it alone we can back up then uh, no let's back up now come on come on come on back it up now so what's the piece you got to put into play so in the process of looking to go to botswana i was calling a young lady named her name was lakely simino okay she was getting married she was a very good friend but i was also working three jobs and uh, was a youth minister and just um, couldn't figure out how to get it all to work together. And I'm like, this is nuts. Why would I go to this wedding? I'm not going to get to spend time with her or her husband. So I was trying to call her to tell her, hey, I can get off. I can be there the next weekend and then I can spend time with both of you. Well, when I went to make that call, yours truly answered the phone. And uh, I never got to have that conversation with her sister. We talked like 45 minutes that first night. So, so Stacy, you were in the States? Yes, I was home for the wedding. You were home for the wedding. That makes sense. And how did you know Lakely, Rick? From Indiana Bible College. Okay, so from, from Bible College, you went to Bible College with Lakely. Right. You were calling to tell her about coming to her wedding, and you just happened to... Get a phone call, phone. get an answer from Stacy. That's right. Her older or younger sister? Younger. Younger. Okay. 
and you ended up never talking to Lakeley at all. Correct. <laughs> all right. Okay. Now, so now I fast realize this is this is ninety three. There's there's no FaceTime. There's no right. there's no internet. You know, it, it, and it's, it's long distance too, right? It's long distance, yeah. Yeah, so you're talking, you know, money, money, money. Yeah, forty five minutes was a long time. I used to when I when Regina and I were courting, uh, we were pretty serious. I was at Harvard in Boston. She was in Oklahoma finishing her undergrad. I was finishing my master's, and we would talk for one hour once a week. That was all I could afford. And that would have been in 96. You're still paying for that. <laughs> yeah. We did. Oh, we did instant chat, man. We used, remember Netscape and they had a little email yep. indicator. We uh -huh. would write little short emails and we, I taught her how to go into the computer labs and set the check rate to every 30 seconds. We were I doing instant. AIM. I used AIM. Yep. See, I didn't even have that at the time. So it was. That, it isn't was AIM, what is that? A AOL's instant messenger or something? Yes, that's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Okay, so fast forward. So you had this conversation, and then subsequent to that, you head to Africa in Botswana. And so when you land, who's there? Nobody. No, no. Let's tell the true we story. All right, tell the true story. Who's there? First passport, first international flight. I'm all alone halfway around the world, and nobody is there to pick me up. Nobody. I'm in Johannesburg, my man, with nobody there because they were delayed. But there was no way to get in touch with anybody. Now, wait a minute. Johannesburg's not in Botswana, is it? They, they picked me up in Johannesburg to drive yeah. to Botswana. Ah, uh, so you land in Johannesburg, South Africa. Yeah. And no one's there. Correct. So what'd you do? I just hung out. He was only there about 30 minutes. No, I don't yes. think so. Yeah. My memory says I was there five days. No, you were there about 30 minutes. <laughs> you don't even want to get me going on my courting story <laughs> got with my stuck wife. In traffic. Yeah. I was seven hours waiting on her, but that's a whole other story, and the church has all heard that. I'll tell you. I, I truly don't remember how it all played out. I remember in the airport, they would have a room with phones, and you would you would pay at a counter to be able to use a phone. And you know they they set you up. It, it was this was before cell phones. Yeah, also. so <laughs> so uh, I remember that trying to get a hold of somebody, and they showed up not long after. But it 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 was interesting because I'm like, there's nobody here. I'm looking. So who's the, who's the they? Was Stacy there? Her mom and dad, her and Corey, right? Yeah, Corey was gone. I don't remember who the other. There was another aim worker, but I'm not sure yeah. who it was. All right, so they pick you up, and then you got a how long of a drive to get to Botswana? Five, yeah, six hours, five to six. Yeah, with borders and all that. All right, have you had any contact with Stacy since that forty-five minute phone call? We yes, we oh, had yeah. been calling. We had before. contact. Let me tell. Oh no, <laughs> uh, folks, please <laughs> forgive me, but Richard, <laughs> my friend, is not always the most kosher individual. No. Sometimes. Well, Stacy, you have permission on the broadcast to smack him if you need to. Okay, I, I've been told my filter's broke, but I've yeah, ordered a new one. Yeah, it hasn't come in, has it? No, it's a shortage on Amazon. All right, so you'd already been. How much time had passed from that phone call where you had first met Stacy on the phone to where you actually headed over uh -huh. to? We met in April. He didn't come to Africa until 
August. Okay, so not too long. August 17th. All right. I'm not sure why. And I, I did go down and meet her in Indianapolis. For the wedding. After the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. But in that same time frame. We can, tell, we can talk about that whole story, but we did meet before I went to Africa. All right. So probably now's the time to talk about, we've kind of already figured out how you met Stacy. That was the big question, but let's delve into that a little bit closer. Oh. So you meet Stacy on the phone. We know that you go down to Indianapolis, you meet her in person. Bring us up to date, but when you get off in Johannesburg and the Seminoles and Stacy pick you up, uh, is there a ring in your pocket? Are you, Whoa. where are you yeah. at in this? There's where, a gun in my dad's pocket. So yeah, his nose, right? <laughs> I for I hope this is not an offensive word tonight, but I was an idiot. I used the past tense was. Oh, I I'm not offended. And uh, if you need to use it in the present tense, I I can probably <laughs> live with it too. <laughs> no, was. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll leave it in the past tense. But uh, I uh, I don't remember how I said it. It was was it like through email or letter? So I told her I was, I was back and forth on if I was going to go or not. And then I said, I'm coming, but it's not for you. I used those words. I actually said that. Yeah. Oh, wow. So let's just say her parents were not overly excited about me coming, but somehow God intervened because they could have stopped the whole process. They had the authority to do that. Right. Your mom? Those of you that don't know, aim the way aim works is you actually have to have the agreement of the missionary that you're going to work with. Yeah. Correct. So this young lady that now Rick is interested in in some way or in some fashion, her parents are the missionaries. Are the missionaries that he answers to? for whether he can even go to Africa. Your timing was a little off there, Rick. You kind of got that a little mixed up. It was bad. Yeah, they didn't really want the drama. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I, I uh, have worked with both of Stacy's parents, love them dearly, though I must admit we both have acquired a taste for each other. When we first met, I doubt that they liked me very much and I frankly had no clue who they were. <laughs> And when I don't know who you are, I barely behave myself when I know who you are. So when I don't know who you are, it's yeah. probably even worse. So, Brother Sister Seminole, if you see this, please forgive me. I, I meant nothing wrong, but I'm glad we're friends now. I'm oh, those we're fans of each other now. But anyway, so maybe Rick and I are in the same camp. We both are kind of a little dash yeah. in the head about how we conduct yeah. ourselves. Yeah. All right, so... What's the status of the relationship? Are you interested in her? Or are you just chatting? Or oh, I'm interested. We're friends. We're yeah, yeah. All right, Stacy, where are you in all this? I mean, you obviously talked 45 minutes. Yeah. Where are you in all this? He, he, I knew he was interested in me. He had dated another girl in between meeting me and coming to Africa, and he told me he wasn't coming for me. But I was like, you know. I can play a whole lot better on my own playing field. Which was Africa. Yeah, which was Africa. Because this was a, quite frankly, a dude who knew nothing about Africa. And I really wanted to see how he reacted. And I will say that from the moment he got off the airplane, hardly anything phased him. When we found him at the airport, he was changing money. He was exchanging his money, which most people won't do that without a lot of guidance. Yep. 
He was like, I needed money. I was I hungry. I'd been there yes. three days on my own. Yeah, right. Three days. Folks, let me tell you, if Rick makes it 30 minutes without getting something to go to chow down yeah. on, he thinks it's been three days. So okay. So, so it was just kind of, so it was kind of that's why, yeah. That's why mom and dad were like, okay, go ahead, he should come. So okay, so Rick, I didn't know this whole dating in between. So that makes the telling her I'm not coming for you even worse. Yeah. It, it's there's so much more to the story, and I don't know how much is for public consumption. Well, here's what's interesting. If we would compare my story and your story, there's a reason we hang together. We both nearly didn't land the girls. Yeah. Oh maybe maybe we're both idiots. I don't know. My story, if you I think I've told part of it. The church knows it. I mean, I, I told her I was gonna write and I didn't write and then I went a year and a half without saying anything. And then when I did see her, I saw her at Youth Congress and I was with another girl. Oh, it's a it's a whole it's a whole thing. Jesus had to help me get my girl. I think how it's all God ordained. It really yeah. either that or his mercy. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not ready to say Regina is ordained to be. <laughs> that might be a little unfair to her, but I do know God had mercy to help me perhaps make the case to be with her okay so how she said yes yes absolutely so, so how yeah, long so, from landing how long from landing till it turns serious and suddenly we find you're a couple why don't you give your version okay remember like how long it took us to really i know it wasn't long it was probably like less than a month yeah yeah really yeah because we were yeah we were literally working together day in and day out. Yeah. He was teaching. I was teaching first grade and well, kindergarten and first grade. And he was teaching with me. Yeah. And we were together all the time. All right. Who was the lead teacher? I was. Cool. She was the boss. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Still yeah. is. I know. Rick needs a boss. I'm no. <laughs> no question about that. <laughs> no. But yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty quick that it was obvious that it was a, that we, that we were pretty much destined for one another. However, there is a however. Okay. What's the however? What's the however? Uh, the washer and dryer conversation. I have no idea what you're talking about. Wow. <laughs> COVID's, COVID's. COVID's addled the brain? Yeah. So, like, by the way, let me insert before Rick starts here, folks. He got paid exactly how Rick and Stacy talk all the time. Rick's got stuff to tell, and Stacy goes, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know if she's blocked it out or if she just plays, you know, ignorant. Or of she just it. has no idea what I'm going to say. Exactly. <laughs> we, we don't know what it is, but this is very typical. So, you're, you're getting to see the side that Regina and I get to see of Rick and Stacy. All right. So, so Rick. Washer and dryer. What's she, going on she got water? payback? She was getting payback because of the in between before me going to Africa. I get there, we decide, or she decides, you know, this we're this is a thing, and uh, then she started giving me the cold shoulder in Africa. In Africa, like there's no one else there. Remember the territory? You know? My I can play well on my territory. Yes. Okay. And this went on what seemed like, I mean, I'm sure Johannesburg picking me up was 30 minutes, but it seemed like three days. So yeah. this seemed like three years. Yeah. Okay. 
And so finally, the way the house was set up, which we lived in the same house, that's another fun story. And it was like a horseshoe shape. And in the middle, there was like a laundry area where you'd come outside. And uh, because it's desert, laundry's outside year round, you know. And um, so I finally said, look, either this is for real or it's not. I'm done playing games. <laughs> and I was the idiot playing games. Yes. Prior, but she, she won. I'm pretty sure I went, okay, I'll let yeah. you know. Yeah. Okay, it, I'll let you know. I think Ooh. that rings a bell. Yes, I think I wow. Rings a bell. <laughs> I knew you had ice in the veins, but wow, that's cold. There's some young ladies that need to listen up right now. You want good. that man. I was pretty good at running. Yeah. Wow. So how long did you uh, go before you let him know? Not very long, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We it were, felt we, like three we years ago. Right? This was in... He got there in August. We were married in April, so yeah, we messed around too. Yeah, we didn't. We were we married almost within a year from when we first talked on the phone. When you first talked, I was getting ready to say. I thought you said it was in August that you talked on the phone. Yeah. And for the record, Alyssa wasn't born for many, many. <laughs> in other words, Brother Simino was able to uh, run his household well. Very yes. well. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. All right. Because you got to understand, Brother Simino, if you don't remember, he and, and Sister Simino are from Louisiana. And so um, doesn't he have Cajun roots? Didn't I remember you saying that? French. I yes. say Cajun. They say French. All right. All right. So he's a he's a Frenchman and uh, knows how to hunt. I'm assuming he had some guns around. Not then, but he had guns, guns. Yes. Oh, he had guns, guns. huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so, all right. So go down that path. What did he, how did he terrorize you to well, meet his daughter? So because of the, the uniqueness of the associate mission program being on AIM, um, basically they provide the housing, right? Or right. set you up and, and uh, to make it affordable. Like I lived in the same house as they did along with another AIMer, but my room was right next door to the Seminoles room. And it was literally more like a little office that was off their room, but it had a separate entrance into the hallway. I joke not that I could pretty much lay down and touch all four walls. You know, it, it was tiny. Uh, now, mind you, again, this is the Kalahari Desert. It's 110 degrees many months out of the year. And I'm in a little room with one little window with no cross ventilation and no <laughs> air conditioning. Um, so that was part of this to see, is this boy really good? It's cut out for Africa. Right. Or cut out for our daughter. I'm I not, had an air conditioner. She, yeah, she had the air conditioner. <laughs> they all had air conditioning. I did not. For, so, for a year. For a year. This is sounding a little bit like hazing. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is if that anyone who knows Brother Simino, who many call him Baba, but uh, Brother Simino is duct tape and WD-40, always in supply. So he knows how always. to rig it. Mm -hmm. And nothing squeaks because he's always got WD-40 
and uh, somehow the hinges on my door squeaked something terrible, but they never got Stop any squeaking. Right, right. <laughs> so, so he ran his household very well. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like Brother Simino was on top of everything. Yeah, the yeah. AIM program, for those that don't know, most of the time, particularly in Africa, but there are other, other places as well, many of our, our missionaries, they live in, for lack of a better term, a compound. Basically, you get a piece of property, for example, in Africa, the first thing you're going to do, even before you build anything on it, is you're going to build a wall. Right. And uh, that sets your boundaries. That means the property's been bought. It means you own it, et cetera. And then inside of that wall, there might be multiple buildings or one large building that rambles different places or different directions. And uh, so typically aimers, particularly in Africa, will live in the missionary's compound, maybe in the same house, maybe in an outbuilding, one of the other buildings that's within the compound. So you were in the actual house, though. You weren't on an outbuilding or anything like that. You were in the actual house right next to what was to become your future mother and father-in-law. Correct, correct. And uh, the, the Kennedys, Eddie and Della May Kennedy, lived in the house outside. Okay. Okay, yeah. And there was actually another aim worker that lived in the house. With us. I believe your church knows them well, has had them. Who, the Kennedys? Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm blanking. They're from New Caledonia. They were French. in Reunion, spent time in France. We probably support them. I'm not I mean, ready. I don't yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm almost positive we support I'm just them. giving a shout out if you're looking to support a missionary. <laughs> there you go. I'll go check our list, see if we're already on. There you go. We already have them. Absolutely. All right. So you guys get married basically a year after you meet. Yep. You were headed to Africa because you were tired of school. Right. There's a whole commentary there, but I'll keep moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank what you. Kept you. What <laughs> kept you in Africa? Now, obviously, you marry Stacy. But yeah. talk about the missions piece of it, Rick, from well, your because we already know where Stacy's heart is. She's kind of grown up in Africa. We even commented on the last broadcast with her that she's more African than she is American. So, so now, yeah, I'll share something I've, I, I'm, I'm comfortable sharing now. There's someone coming in our door. I hope it's someone we know. <laughs> our child. Um, the, uh, the story goes this way. I, I get there, supposed to be there three months. And as you mentioned, that program is like a short term, three months to a year kind of thing, typically at that time, right? 16 years, we stayed on it roughly. Um, she did. I was shy of that, but, uh, to answer that question, how it evolved to that. Yes, we got married, but when I sat down to speak with her father and to get his blessing, uh, the one thing that he asked me is, what's your plans? And I said, well, um, I plan to go back and finish my degree in radiology. I want to be a radiologist and specialize in nuclear medicine. That was the dream. And he says, well, well why do you want to do that? And I said, well, I was raised in a, a home missionary home. Now we would say a church planner's home. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I just for something to fall back on. So he looked at me and, you know, knowing him, he's 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 less intense today, far less intense today than he was back then. And uh, he just looked at me, says, well, are you called and has God called you into ministry? 
And to that point, I'd kind of been fighting it a little, to be quite honest. Um, the whole, that whole first year, I didn't really preach. And, uh, and that's a whole nother story that won't be for public consumption. All right. But um, the, the end of that conversation was, I, I said, yes. I said, I, I know I have a call in the ministry. And he says, well, that's all you need. And uh, somehow that, whether, whether that be the Holy Ghost or Brother Simino, you know, but I believe it was the Holy Ghost. And, and I took it and ran with it. And we've, we've been full-time ministry ever since, you know, um, not making big money all the time ever, but taken care of. And it's just been, it's been an absolute awesome life that we've had. So, so that's how that piece of it happened. And did you feel that that calling, okay, so he forces you to yeah. stare at that. Was that calling in Africa or was yeah, it as a Stacy that you stayed in Africa? That's the piece that I'm going to share now that I don't think I've ever publicly shared. And I don't even know our church here in New Haven, if any of them are on here right now watching, I don't know. Uh, there's probably many of them that have never heard this. And I'm doing all the talking because it really is more probably me. That's all right. Her, but um, we were actually in Durban, South mm. Africa. And it was the second, only the second time there was a multiracial conference of the church. Uh, back then during apartheid, there would be a conference for the white, a conference for the Indian, a conference for the, the, local, the African, and then a conference for um, what they call coloreds, which is not a derogatory term. It's, it's uh, more of your people down towards Cape Town that literally are um, just very, very lighter skin, um, kind of hard to explain, but awesome, awesome people. Uh, all of them are awesome people, but we're in Durban and I'm just like, Lord, I'm terrified. Uh, I'm looking to buy a ring for her at that point. I hadn't even talked to her dad, confession. And uh, so I'm in the... So place. this is brief before the whole conversation you've just related about ministry right. and that's all you need. Correct. And God's working within you. Right. Okay. Right. So the Kennedys, Eddie and Della Kennedy, uh, they're with me in a shop to buy a ring or look at rings. Um, I literally spilled a can of Coke on the countertop over all this expensive jewelry. I was so nervous. <laughs> Um, walked away from it, I believe. And it was that, I want to say it was that night in service. Um, I'm up playing drums at this conference and I'm looking out at this crowd and it, it was the exact image of something that I saw when I was 13 years old. In a dream or a vision or? Church service. I, I would call it a vision. Okay. Cause you were uh, awake. Right. And for those of you that are watching, like, and those of you that know me, Rick Perry is not that guy. You know, I don't walk around seeing visions and he's not hyper spiritual. I'm not verify that for sure. <laughs> but it was an absolute incredible move of God. And uh, at my home church where I grew up, where my dad started the church and and uh, I literally had two visions, and one was of uh, like walking across this foam something. I don't know. It had little openings, and there were uh, 
hands coming out and I saw faces and fire and flesh burning and not to get too gruesome, but it was just terrifying, which I believe was hell. Um, or a vision of, you know, not getting all the theology of it, but then the next one, this, this is one of the, maybe you remember these services, you know, you start at 7.30 and it's not done till 12.30. Yeah. It was one of, one of those. And uh, the second one was me being on some stage, looking out and seeing this massive group of people, but some are dressed in like traditional African gear. Some are in suits and ties. Some are in casual clothes. Some are in more, uh, um, not, not what they were in so much, but you could recognize there was uh, Indian from India people. There was Caucasians, there's uh, black people. And then this whole other, and it's like, what in the world? And I was so shook up from it that after the service, I was still just so emotionally charged from it. I went into my dad in his office and I'm just sobbing. And he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I shared with him what, what I had seen in that visions. And so he said, well, the first, obviously it seems that would be God just giving you a glimpse of, of where we don't want to go and we don't want others to go, you know? And, uh, the second, he goes, I have no idea, Rick. I have no idea. He goes, but this was obviously a God thing, so hold on to it. And it was that night, all those years later, that God brought that back to the forefront. And how old that night when it came to pass? 21. So from 13 years old to 21 years old. And, and a lot of mess in between. But... Um, that was that was my confirmation. A, she was the one. B, I was where I was supposed to be, and and that's the story. And then missions was give a, give us a brief uh, Joyce. If you can start the questions coming, we'll turn to that in just a moment here, and we'll kind of let let folks start interacting with the story and asking any questions. Um, but. What did missions look like? So in Botswana, what 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 was it? Were you were you out in villages? Were you in the capital city? Were you what were what were you doing? What 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 was missions? We were in the um, capital city of Gaborone, and we had started an international English speaking school. Um, Gaborone had a or Botswana had a real shortage of. English medium schools. And if you were an expatriate, which means you come from another nation and you were living there and working, you could not put your kid into a or into a Setswana speaking school, which is a Botswana school, Botswana school, public, public, public school. Yeah. yeah. So you had to go into an English medium school. When you had a baby, you put them on the waiting list. And so there was wow. a huge, huge shortage. So we started a English medium school. And we worked with that. And we also worked with the school whenever uh, the church, when Rick first got there, we were probably running about 60 at the church. And the school was also at about 60. And we started just multiplying like crazy. Like every term we were adding 60 to 70 kids and the church started growing. Um, Brother Cole. The school? Pardon? Was it fed by the school? In other words, your contacts? The church, in the yes, kind of. Two contacts within the church? Yeah, a lot of it, it was and it wasn't. It was both. 
you know, we had a lot of, yeah. And then um, Billy Cole came out. I can't remember what year. Do you remember? 95. 95. And we had a crusade and we literally, we had a hundred and. I want to say 114 or 16. Yeah. Get the Holy Ghost. Something like that. And that kind of literally propelled the mission. Now, now mind you, yeah. the church was only running just over a hundred. Yes. Right. That many. So, so you literally doubled yourself doubled. just in that yeah. crusade. Doubled. And right. we were ready for them. We started teaching Bible studies and we maintained a huge amount of those people. But it took, it was young couples. It was like couples like us, um, my sister and her husband at that time, the Kennedys, the Cisco's. There were so many AIM workers that came out that we were. Uh, so uh, Nick and Pam were also in Botswana as AIMers. Yes, yes, later. Nikki, if you're watching this, remember I was your boss at yeah. one time. Uh, uh, we, we, average, we ended up, um, I think my mother added it up at one time. There was like 40-something AIM workers or more that came through Botswana and worked wow. with the school and worked with the church. Yeah. So by the time you ended your tenure in Botswana and came back, and of course, there's a whole nother saga we could tell of the planning of Haven of Hope and all of that on, on American soil. But by the time you ended the tenure, so you told us, you, you know, when you started there and we're working there, 60 in the school, 60 in the church. Um, and I'm assuming out of the, out of that preachers and people are going out into the rest of the country as well. So by the time you ended, what, what had it grown to? What was the. So the school, the school was around 140. 1,410 to 115 employees and close to 700 students. Wow. Um, now, mind you, many had already graduated to move on, but literally touched thousands upon thousands of, right. of lives through the school. Um, and then on the church side, you know, I believe the last service that I preached in, in, in our church in the capital in Gaborone, I want to say it was a it was a, a number like nine hundred and sixty four or something in attendance. So just a little shy of a thousand. Yeah, yeah. And had we known, we would have sent fifty people out and said, "Drag someone mm -hmm. in here," you know, so we can. Right. Um, yeah. Then there were you know other villages where churches have been started. Right. Um, the exact number, honestly, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I'm not. I don't want to give a wrong number on that. No, no, no. I and I wasn't looking for precision. I was more just getting a kind of a sense of how it had developed and it had grown. And that was across about 15 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, truly wasn't us. I mean, obviously, you know, if Maxwell 101, everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, you know, so I give a lot of credit to my mother and father-in-law, but but there were a lot of young men and young ladies, old men and old ladies. But Basedi uh, Boholo, for any of my Botswana friends watching, but um, that it's just amazing the revival that happened. Um, young people in our youth group preaching during their lunch break, kids getting the Holy Ghost, getting shut down because staff were starting to get the Holy Ghost. I mean, we just saw hundreds start coming in uh, I awesome. had a I had a we had our children's um our children's ministry ran over almost 200 I mean you're talking 
you're talking kids who got themselves up and came to Sunday school every right. Sunday. Right. Yeah. And so that impacts a nation. I don't care how you, I don't care what happens past that. It always impacts a nation. You know, fast forward uh, just for, you know me, sometimes I keep things too real, so I'm not going to keep it too real tonight, but all right. But on the, Rick, the remember, Rick, you are you are on a broadcast with Newark United Pentecostal Church that has been pastored now in one capacity or another for 25 years by me. Yeah. So okay. it's a new definition of real here. You're not in your normal environment. So go ahead. Yeah, but I am out there online. So I just yeah, want to you be are, so you can be politically correct if you need to be. Go ahead. I need to be. Yes. I need to be. But fast forward. Um you know, by the time uh, we had left and then by the time the Seminoles had left, unfortunately, like that church, they started other churches out of that. It kind of segregated. And uh, so so what we the picture we just gave, it's almost like God said, yeah. now watch what I'm going to do, you know, and uh, it is definitely changed. The school is now still in operation, but not under uh, leadership of anyone involved with the UPCI. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, but yet still changing lives, touching lives, change, you know, um, but the impact, and we could go on for hours talking about story after story of the lives where they come back to us and thank, you know, us and, and others involved and uh, for how the school affected their life. But my point for rambling on, on that is just to say, it's all good and great, but in the end, God, God does what he does, you know, and he gets. And I was, I was going to ask you as kind of the segue and I'll have Joyce come off. In fact, come off, come, come on the broadcast with me, Joyce, and get ready with the questions. I was going to ask you something as I'm listening to this story. And I'm kind of asking you a leading question, but I want you to enter, answer it honestly. So don't just follow my lead on this. How much were you prepared for what happened and how much of it was a God thing that you were almost along for the ride? 99.9%. Which? The first or the second? The God thing. I kind of sensed that and I kind of thought that. It was unprecedented. Yeah. But I mean, and, and I didn't want to steal from the reason I, I was hesitating is I didn't want to steal from all of the dedication, all of the preparation, all of those kinds of things. But yeah. in the end, with all the dedication we do and all the preparation that we make and all of those kinds of things in yeah. the end, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. It's it's yeah. it's not going to be by might and power. It's by his spirit. I mean, I would say for me, ninety nine point nine percent. But you know, for, for Rick, he had already, he had planted a church with us, with his family. He had done all of that and also Bible school. So I think he had a little bit more preparation for what he was doing and working with youth where we just pretty much whatever had to be done, got done. I mean, we did everything from build to teach, you know, it, we did everything. Rick, I saw you shaking your head. Uh, I, I'm glad she thinks that highly of me. So it was it was a whole lot of God then. Yeah. Yeah. I I was. I mean, she says ninety nine point nine. I was thinking like maybe a seventy thirty. You know, uh, seventy God thirty. 
just from this context that there's got to be planning. Yeah. Correct. There's got to be structure. There's got to be systems, you know. Uh, you don't you don't grow a for let's just say an organization. You don't it doesn't grow. God could bring in a thousand people, but if we don't have some systems in place, what are you gonna do with them? How are you gonna take care of them? For them? You know, right. I'm thinking of Rick Warren wrote the book Purpose Driven Church, and I think in there, I think it's his book where he talks about just riding the wave. <coughs> um, that sometimes you just gotta be ready for the waves when they come and ride them which there's a lot of truth to that but if you don't know how to surf if you don't know how to get up on the surfboard if you, you don't not, have a board if you don't even have the board right then what's you're the, going under that wave you're not riding it and you might not survive that you that's know that's right so so i i think that needs to be heard that yeah there was a lot of work there was a lot of planning there's a lot of building her father oversaw most of that i got sucked into the early days Again, I think he was testing to see if I could handle it. But were you man enough? When it's 110 degrees and you're angle grinding windows out of railroad car containers, and it's it's fun. <laughs> so anyway, I don't want to. All right. No, time. I really wanted because I I would honestly not to get very pedantic and get too preachy tonight, but I think both elements are present. We have to do our part but understand our part without him means nothing. Yeah. Well, just to, I honestly believe that our story, just us getting together, because I had been in Africa already for a year. And when I say there was no one to date, there was no one to date. I came home for three weeks, met him and knew that this was going to happen. So I think our story is a prime example of people who just say, okay, God, we've tried everything. It's your turn do it. And just, he just kept using us and putting us in the right place. And it, you know, even, even the getting us together, when you give it to him, it, it works out. Availability as opposed to capability or even preparation. Yeah. And obviously Newark, you know, that we are not against capability and we are not against preparation. Amen. But in your your planning, have flexibility for God to do what he needs. Absolutely. We got to let him speak. We got to let him rule. All right, Joyce, come off mute. My show's about done here. Do we have questions coming in? Everybody's riveted and has nothing to say. Yes, we do. So, Brother Rick, we heard lots of stories from Sister Stacy last time. Uh, do you have any funny stories, scary stories about your time in Africa? Oh, I, yeah. Which one do you want? Oh, you don't know what they are. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I, I would say the lions were probably the most scary, I think. Um, I'll try to tell this very <laughs> quick, but... Um, so in Botswana, the, the, it's desert, but it's the Kalahari Desert. And in Botswana, there's an area called the Central Kalahari. And there was a group of us that, of men, we we're going to go out and spend a few nights out in the Central Kalahari, just camping and getting away. And first of all, I'm the fearless leader headed that way. Three of us were American, and I think three of us were South Africans. I got us lost. Um, 
I had a GPS. Now we're not talking about what's on our phone. We're talking about a GPS with waypoints. There's no pretty roads. It's just dots on a screen. I have it. I have no idea how to use it, but I had it. So my Did brother, anybody in the group know how to use it? Well, thank the good Lord. My brother-in-law was military, army, okay. ranger, airborne, and uh, he grabbed it and probably had a few choice words for me. <laughs> and uh, he figured it out and we were able to get a waypoint for the campsite that we were trying to get to. So we ended up going straight through the bush. I think we had a flat tire or two, but we go straight through the bush, no road, because it's getting dark to our campsite. And uh, we didn't even go, if I remember, we didn't even go through like there's a gate you're supposed to go through to get in there. Um, but we didn't go through that gate because we couldn't find that gate. But we did find the campsite. We set up and we set up our camp and we start cooking meat. We had Jackal come in, literally jumping up on the grill, trying to grab our, the meat that we were grilling. So we're yelling at them, throwing whatever rocks we could find, which that was fun. But then we're, we're going to sleep and uh, we, we thank, thank the good Lord. We knew enough, lived there long enough that you pack up all your food, you, you double, triple, quadruple pack, put it in the vehicle because you don't want that smell to get out there because then it attracts some unwanted friends. So I'm in this tent with my brother-in-law. There's three, there, so there were only five of us. There, there were two South Africans, awesome friends, and then three of us Americans. But the one American was in the other tent with the two South African guys. and. He just couldn't, he was a little older than us. He couldn't sleep anymore on that ground and he wanted in the vehicle. So all we hear is, Perry, Apologies. open my vehicle what you said. or open the vehicle so I can sleep in there. So I, I unlock it. I set the alarm off a bunch of times just to be annoying because that's what I do. And then about 30 minutes later, uh, my brother-in-law, we're just talking and we hear, um, um. We had a whole pride of lion come through our camp. When I say come through our camp, I mean within three feet of our tent. So that in itself was a little alarming. Um, that's probably the most intense moment I feel I've ever had in Africa as far as scary. Uh, but we also knew that this gentleman had just been outside of his tent. <laughs> Had he walked out 30 minutes later, he would be dead today for sure. Um, because the lines looked at the tents and the vehicles as one big unit. So they didn't really want to mess with it. But had somebody walked out. And they, broke, they, broke the silhouette. Yeah. They would be dead. Um, just because a lion has eaten. This is some spiritual stuff here, folks. Because uh, there's someone that is as a lion. But anyway, just... Just because a lion is eaten doesn't mean they're not going to come after you because they're opportunist. So if it looks like an easy kill, they'll, they'll get you. So, so I'm, I'm my brother-in-law's looking out the top of the tent, the little peepholes trying to see where they went and he couldn't see both of us wear contacts. We really can't see anything anyway. <laughs> so I'm unzipping the solid flap on the bottom of the tent. I've preached 
a message called Lion Handlers and, and told the story all over the country. So if you're hearing it again, forgive me, but it was one of the most scariest moments, but I hit the flap of the tent so that I could see it when I hit it, my brother-in-law dropped to the ground, like a military drop, you know, it was so awesome. But uh, they did keep going. We just want to make sure they were mobile and they weren't going to bed down too close to us. And they probably bedded down maybe maybe a quarter to a half of a, a kilometer from where we were at. I don't know what that'd be in miles, but but they were close. And uh, we packed up the next morning and got out. But that's the most scariest to me. Um, but there was a lot of other stuff. <laughs> Snakes, you know, um, scorpions, like a lot of stuff. All right, Joyce, any other questions? Do you have any funny stories or um, about you and your father-in-law? <laughs> about me and my father-in-law? Oh, no. No, I have none. <laughs> when you hit him with that ladder. That was Eddie. Oh, Eddie? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I do have a funny story. So this is at the oh, expense no. of a missionary brother, Eddie Kennedy, that we've mentioned a few times. They are they are missionaries in New Caledonia right now in the, the South Pacific. But we were the railroad car containers we were building. Um, so my father-in-law was a welder by trade back in the day and he can weld anything. He's amazing. But he, uh, we were, we were taking out pieces for these railroad container, railroad car containers, putting roofs on them that were all, you know, tin roofs as well. And I think my father-in-law was actually cutting out a, a piece for, um, to put an air conditioner in. So what he'd do is cut, the U-shape on top, and then we would just force down that piece of steel, and then you would weld in two brackets to support that piece of steel, and then just slide a window unit in there, right? So he's working on that, and Brother Kennedy's helping him. So my father-in-law gets down to do something, probably put another rod in his weld or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was, but Brother Kennedy moved his ladder on him. So he just turns around with the welding mask that you can't really see a whole lot, and he starts climbing the ladder but where brother kennedy moved it was right under that steel so he hit it with his head and sliced his head wide open oh and uh that that's a funny story to me <laughs> so if you see him again look for a scar i think it's there but um but he brother Seminole tells that story all the time like this is why you don't trust aimers correct correct believe <laughs> Yeah, uh, but there's plenty of other funny stories. Um, here, let me tell one more. So we're on a little saf safari of sorts. This is not about my father-in-law, though. And uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of is with him. Actually, it is. Yeah, it's just a little game reserve outside of town, um, but something to do. And it was our, our mission group that, that was out there at the time. And it was cold. We were not seeing any animals, but the driver saw this huge python curled up in the, the bush. So he pulls the vehicle in, puts the lights on it. My father-in-law and I jump off of the vehicle. And the way that one was made is you have your truck and then the bed of the truck. So there's a gap like that, you know, in between the, the cabin and the, where everyone's sitting on the bed but it was seats raised safari type vehicle. Uh, I would imagine your pastor knows exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe some others, but, but my father-in-law and I get off 
because it's a python. I know some people are scared of snakes, but a python's not not overly aggressive. You know, you just don't want it to get a hold of you for sure. And the game guy, right, ranger, goes out, grabs this python, and starts pulling it out. And when he does, it kind of turns. So he lets go. But as he's doing this, I said to my father-in-law, or we were both laughing. And I just go, you think, are you thinking what I'm thinking? He goes, well, what are you thinking? I said, I'm thinking it's cold. That snake is looking for warmth and it, it's feeling the engine of this truck. And it's going to come over here and go up under the truck. He goes, that's exactly what's going to happen. And that is what happened. So it gets under the truck, curls itself around the axle, but the opening right there, it, it starts to go up that opening. And we're seeing this all happening. And the girls that were sitting in that first seat have no idea what's about to go down. <laughs> and that python raises its head up over that opening. This is no exaggeration. Those two girls, they weren't girls, they were grown women. They jumped straight over the back, like the seat that they were in. They didn't turn around. They just went back and <laughs> fell into the seat behind. Like it was sorry if uh, they're watching today uh but it was, it was so funny yeah. so that that was a good and we never could get the snake off we drove all the way back uh to the the entry of the park with it on there with the snake with you yeah 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 and then they uh they couldn't get it off and they just let it stay there and they we knew these guys and Once the next morning cold. they said it just it disappeared somewhere during the night. It took off. Pythons are known for being able to squeeze a little bit, I guess. So yeah, yeah. This thing was probably eight, nine feet. Yeah, it was a big one. Yeah, big, guy. big, big snake. I know my mom. Twenty-two feet. <laughs> my mom very much enjoyed that story, Rick. She's. I promise you, right now she is with my father, and if she's not, she does not cuss. But if she did, she would be cussing, right? <laughs> She is very much expostulating, I promise, <laughs> because she is convinced that even before sin, somehow the serpent was evil. Like there was just, it yeah. just that was never a creation of God. So, anyway, Joyce, another question. Can you tell us how you were called back to the US? Do you want to tell that story since I've talked so much? Or you want, is that for me yes. or my wife? It's for you. For either of you. Uh, so how much time because i have man it's 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 eight All right. do, do, get, get, we'll run over a little bit give us give us the give it in a nutshell okay so it's got to be a nut nutshell so yeah. we we um we felt like there was a huge change in our ministry we thought it was going to be in botswana we actually had applied for full appointment as missionaries to botswana um, and all our years there never, never did that, never felt a need because we made a decent living through the school and we didn't have to deputize. So with that said, we, we actually ended up having our way paid to go to a general conference that was in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio. And while I was there... That would have been what year? My Lord, I don't even know. 2007? I think it was seven. I think it was seven. Yeah, so around there, whenever a conference around 2007 was in Columbus, it was that one. And uh, I found out that the board wasn't going to meet us, but it wasn't anything against us. They just made a decision that 
deputation was so backed up, they just weren't going to meet anybody until further notice. And uh, I'd already talked to Brother Richardson, the field supervisor, and, and, or the regional field supervisor, and called him actually in Madagascar and said, Stacy and I just feel like there's a huge change and that if we don't get appointed at general conference or the board meeting the first of the next year, God's up to something. And I just wanted him to hear that and know that so that he was aware. I don't know why. I just felt he needed to know that. Fast forward, they didn't meet us the next board meeting, but we were at that general conference and um, uh, brother Jay Sterneman, who is now the superintendent for Mass Rhode Island District, he was then the whole mission director. He, he found me, said, are you Rick Perry? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, I heard there may be a change in your ministries. I wonder if you'll come to Mass Rhode Island and uh, see if you feel anything. Let me show you where there's needs. And I that, by the way, was my home church for my two years. when Riverton? I Yeah. Oh, wow. I was with him when he was in his original building in Fall River, Mass. And then he moved across the line between my two years there. He, I went home during the summer. And when I got back, he had bought what was then a boat repair and showroom and so forth. That is now his current sanctuary in campus. He had bought that and they were in the process of renovating. Oh, cool. I was in my, my second year with them. I was out in what is now Sunday school space in that. They didn't have the sanctuary done yet. I was with them worshiping in that front portion. That's pretty neat. See, I didn't know that. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the end of that story is, there's many details I could give there, but Brother John Potosky was my roommate at Indiana Bible College and for the, the years I was there. And he found out we were coming, said, you can't come and not spend time with me. He picks us up in Boston. We thought, if this is a God thing, Boston's the place. And, um, and we truly only came because it was New England in the fall and we had two plane ticket vouchers to use or we we're going to lose them in three months. And we were headed back to Botswana. So we knew we wouldn't use them. So we really, that was really truly why we came. And uh, so we're in Boston, not feeling anything. And I don't always have to feel Holy Ghost goosebumps. I believe we should plant churches everywhere we can plant a church. Um, but to move my family halfway around the world, I needed to know God was, was doing something big. You needed a little direction and confirmation. Right. Right. So we, we ended up uh, uh, driving down to New Haven, Connecticut. We were in an area looking, I was looking at this old cinema that had been shut down. It was, you know, just a very, very old building. And literally I felt God say, if I've ever heard an audible voice or come close, it's more like it, it was then. Just heard the voice of God say, this is where I want you. And uh, I waited three days to bring it up with my wife. We were then in Tiverton at, at their home and their guest room. And I said, we're just down waiting. in the basement. Yep. yep I, that stayed, I stayed there many a weekend. I would come down on a Friday night and Sister Sternman would take care of me. There and you I, go. I would stay there and then leave Sunday after church. So we were, we were there and I just said, we're, we're wasting this, this man's time. She goes, what, what are you talking about? I said, there's a huge change coming, but it's not here. And so she very emotionally says, New Haven, right? And I just said, why would you say that? And she began to share that this old building, do you remember this old cinema? She said, I, I, I was looking at that building. And I just felt God tell me this is where we were going to move. So hers was a little different wording, 
Um, and by this time, you know, we're both bawling. Uh, I at first was like, oh, my Lord, help me, Jesus. I'm never going to get this missionary kid out of Africa. My marriage is over. You're calling <laughs> me here. She's not going to want to come. But um, God worked all that out. We went back to Botswana. We told her mom and dad what had happened, what we feel. We asked them, can you just take take some months and pray about this with us? I think they came back within a week. Yeah, I think it was like a couple of days. They, yeah. they knew it was time. And they just said, we don't want this, don't understand it, but this, this is something you need to pursue. And uh, here we are. Wow. And obviously I missed a whole lot in that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Joyce, how many questions are we leaving on the table? A ton or not a ton? Uh, maybe about four. Let me see. Are any of them lightning round questions? Um, I don't know. But I can I can couple two of them <laughs> into one. How about right. that one? Getting with one more, and then we'll wrap up. Okay, so they both have to do with Africa. Um, how many received the Holy Ghost? And did you witness any miracles? Uh, a lot and yes. Is that a good? <laughs> so, a, couple, a couple of months before we actually started the process of leaving, we baptized or the one thousand person got the Holy Ghost. Yes, in the Gaborone Church, which was really cool because she was Indian. From India, it was yeah. really cool. So that, I mean, that kind of gives you perspective. There was a lot more that got the Holy Ghost outside of the church, wow. uh, outside of the Gaborone Church, but we kept very, very close records. So her dad kept the records. I don't have them. Yeah. So yeah, but though, there. I mean, there was lots, lots, lots of miracles. But one of them, a guy came in on crutches to a was it a youth service? Yeah, he was he yeah. was like one of the youth had been coming around for yeah. quite a while. Yeah. And he was we didn't notice that he came in on crutches, but he was acting, I mean, he was acting quite frankly crazy. I mean, just everywhere, just bouncing and bouncing and bouncing and being, you know, and extremely demonstrative. And somebody, my husband asked who he was, and somebody said uh, he came in. I asked on crutches. one of the ushers to go get that the crazy guy. And make sure he doesn't hurt anybody because yeah. I'm thinking it's just someone off the street. And they said, "Sorry to interrupt her, but Sorry. they they mm -hmm. said no, Pastor. That's so and so, and I don't even know. I can't remember his name right now." I said, "What do you mean?" Said his leg because he was on crutches, but his leg was like shriveled up and yeah. would dangle when he walked. So it wasn't even like, I mean, he obviously needed the crutches. Yeah. Well, during worship, no one laying hands. It was just worship. You know, seven, eight hundred people just move of God. And in the midst of that, God healed his leg, straightened it, straight. It, it just nobody touched awesome. him. Nobody. There was no big awesome. hoopla. Yeah. He just started jumping around. Perry gets no glory. Jesus gets it all. Absolutely. I have long taught Newark and we have examples of it. I've long taught Newark. The Holy Ghost and miracles is God's providence. And I think we can stop him, but we aren't the one who starts him. Yeah. He is sovereign. Yeah. And um, it's amazing what he does in his time and as he chooses.
All right, folks, it's been great having the Perrys with us. Obviously, there's more. Maybe I'll have to have my friends back for a third time and we have some more oh, conversation. Oh. I know it'll be a while, Rick. Trust me. Okay. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give us a break. I'll give us a break. But I, I won't forget who we are for a while. Yeah, exactly. Let it ebb away a little bit. That's exactly right. I All I know is your pastor has preached at Haven of Hope. I have. His friend's never been down there. So, uh-oh, now he's throwing shade. There we go. <laughs> I hope that you've enjoyed it tonight. If you're a first-time guest with us, we are so thankful that you've chosen to be with us. We broadcast six nights a week, Tuesday through Sunday, 7 o'clock each, each night, and uh, we hope that you'll join us again. Check us out on our website, newarkupc.info. You can find out all kinds of things about us, how to join a small group, particularly in this season. That is pivotal, important, along with our broadcasts. You can partner with, with us in giving. You can submit prayer requests, baptism requests, praise reports, all kinds of things like that. If you've got any questions, again, remember newarkupc.info. That's how you can reach us. And to the rest of you, thanks for being tolerant for my friend and I, uh, both friends and our chit-chat. And I'm surprised we did as well as we did, only ran over 10 minutes. We could have gone for hours. I hope that you've enjoyed the broadcast tonight. And so until tomorrow night, I say to you, good night and God bless. <laughs>